0: What this becomes is the new business school. This becomes the apprentice shop for the next generation. So this is the place where the future is invented and where you can figure out if my idea has legs. If I can find somebody to say, that is a really stupid idea, I should not pursue that, or it's brilliant. But it's not simply a matter of saying, oh, the tech talent's here. Uh, let's put this here and it'll be successful. It's a matter of engaging with the larger community and being invested and involved and offering something to them. And with Capital Factory in spaces like this gives to people is access to failure you're listening to techpreneurs it's a
1: podcast about the stories of tech entrepreneurs my name is clark buckner thank you so much for being here you just heard from josh rubin who is the executive producer for the daily dot he shared this with me on the 16th floor of the austin center located in the heart of downtown austin texas that's the home of Capital Factory, one of the North American Google for Entrepreneurs tech hubs. He's talking about how a community like this can provide a safe landing for startups.
0: Failure is the most important part of startup lifestyle. That's, that is, a, as a journalist who's covered this space, that is what I've learned from spending time with entrepreneurs. You're going to fail, and if you're gonna fail, fail every day. What Austin and places like Capital Factory provide is, frankly, a soft landing for failure. This town doesn't judge you for failing. And this town and these places like Capital Factory understand failure and basically give you license to learn from your failure and move on to the next thing. In season one of Techpreneurs, we'll take you on a tour highlighting several of the Google for
1: Entrepreneurs tech hubs, where you'll meet the seven Code 2040 entrepreneurs and residents. You'll hear their stories about how they're building tech, how they're overcoming obstacles, and how they're promoting diversity and inclusion in their communities. You'll get an inside look at cities like Chicago, home to Thomas K.R. Stovall, the current Code 2040 entrepreneur residence of 1871 Chicago. That's where he's building his tech startup Candid Cup Microfeedback. And so I found myself in a position where I'm 30 years old and I'm literally having to close the doors of my business, start over, no credit, no money in the bank, embarrassed, friends asking me, you know, what's going on and I've lost my personal residence, all of it. And uh, that's... That's the place that I started Candid from, not right away. Because there, there was a little, little bit of, um, of darkness that you got, you got to walk through. You got to kind of find yourself after you, you lose that much. But uh, that's, that's where I started. In addition to Austin and Chicago, you'll meet techpreneurs from Nashville, Minneapolis, Raleigh-Durham, San Francisco, and Detroit. We're happy to bring you these stories with the support of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, one of the Google for Entrepreneurs tech hubs. All right, let's get to it. To set the stage for season one, you're about to hear from Code 2040 CEO and co founder Laura Wideman Powers. She explains how their Entrepreneur Residence program helps a nonprofit organization create access, awareness, and opportunities for top black and Latino and Latina engineering talent to ensure their leadership in the innovation economy. I cannot be more excited to have you right here with me. I hope you subscribe. Visit us at techpreneurs.co. Or just search Techpreneurs anywhere you download podcasts. Enjoy!
2: It was summer 2011, and uh, I was sitting with Tristan Walker, who at the time was just a friend and would become uh, my co-founder. And we were just sort of chatting about... um, I was starting to look around for what my next thing was going to be, and he kind of rolled over to the whiteboard wall in the desk chair that he was sitting in in this conference room and wrote the number 2040 on the wall. And it started a conversation. Um, The year 2040 is the year people of color are projected to be the majority in the U.S. And we were sitting in the epicenter of the tech sector, uh, San Francisco's Soma neighborhood, and just thinking about what does that mean for this industry, and what does this industry mean for these communities, and that's what kicked off the conversation.
1: But at this point, right now, when you're in that conference room, you're you were part of a tech company. And that was your mm-hmm. was that your first tech company that you were really fully invested in with all of your time and passion yes. and resources. Yeah. So. Before that, you come from a background of nonprofits Mm -hmm. and a lot of interaction with youth. I know that's a really big passion of yours. So was at this moment or a future moment or maybe during your your time at the tech startup when it just clicked and you knew that this was your passion in tech?
2: Yeah, it's a funny question. I think um, if I'm being honest, it probably clicked later because when we were first talking about getting Code 2040 off the grounds, I think we knew that it could be really impactful for the individuals going through it, but we didn't even realize how transformative it could be for the industry uh, until we got going and started to get some momentum and see the types of people and companies uh, that were interested and the types of network effects we were having with students and their communities.
1: You were talking on a podcast about topics like confidence, risk, and fear, and I love hearing you talk about that. But you're also talking about the staggering wealth gap,
2: mm, yeah. and it's
1: really, it's just even you, you said it twice yeah. earlier, and it's still I'm gonna hear a third time yeah. because it's really just unbelievable, of just to fathom it. So if you could tell me a little about what the stat is and and how that has been a driver for your why of doing code 2040.
2: Yeah, so there's a couple stats that we think about a lot. The first is the fact that the average salary for a tech worker is more than the median household income of a black family and a Latino family combined. And so you start to think about the transformative impact that having a black or Latino tech worker can have on their family and their community. We have students who participate in Code 2040's Fellows Program who, as summer interns, make more than their parents make collectively 25 or 30 years into their career and it just totally resets their notion of their own trajectory and the impacts that they can have on their family and community.
1: And what another interesting stat that I think connects to this, what I've heard you say is, and you don't have to correct me on this, but it's I think it's 18% will graduate with a degree that's in the in the tech field, but only three, four, maybe 5% are actually having a relevant job in the industry.
2: Yeah, 18% of computer science bachelor's degrees each year go to black and Latino students. And then you look at the representation in the industry and it's exactly what you're saying, Um, 2%, 3%, uh, 5% for blacks and Latinos. And so there's this real opportunity to connect students who are already graduating with a skill set in tech to the open roles that these companies have.
1: So the primary, I guess the flagship delivery of what you do, it's the fellows program, fellows program. program. And I was wondering if just give me a quick overview of what that is in a nutshell. And then if there is maybe one or two just quick stories or examples of just like how this student going into an internship role, going into a career, kind of what the impact has been on their, their life.
2: Yeah. So the fellows program, it's our flagship program. Um, And essentially, what we do is we go out and find uh, high-performing, high-potential Black and Latino computer science students around the country, and we connect them with our partner companies for summer internships. Uh, We've worked with about 75 tech companies in the Bay Area, 42 are current company partners. And so this summer, for example, we'll have about 80 students in the program. They'll intern during the day, and on evenings and weekends, a few times a week, they'll be part of their Code 2040 family. So we'll do a speaker series. They'll meet with mentors, workshops. We have a hackathon, company visits, networking events. It's super busy. We tell them if they're not exhausted at the end of the summer, they haven't done it right. But the idea is that by the time they're through with their summer with us, they have not just the skills and experience, but the confidence and connections that they need to succeed. Um, We've actually seen some really exciting uh, kind of impact and and growth with our alums. We have a hackathon we do every summer. um, And for a lot of students, it's the first time they've done a hackathon. They're not offered at their schools. Um, I'll tell a story about one particular student, Perry, who um, went through the hackathon. His team actually won the hackathon, and he was so inspired. He'd never done a hackathon before. He went back to his school, and he started their first hackathon and got 100 students to participate. And he also stayed in touch with the winning team, his team from that summer, and they actually decided to start a company of their own, and now they're a part of Y Combinator's fellowship class.
1: That's a big deal.
2: Yeah, and it was all based on that one experience that sparked for him the amount of creation agency that he could have.
1: And so I know this is, it's a really complex issue. It's its one that, I mean, there's so many, I mean, we could talk for a, such a long time, and I know you are in town just for a, a short <laughs> day or two, and I know I gotta, let you go here in a moment but i do want to have i'll put in the show notes too there's a really interesting talk that you gave about it's titled people not pipes yeah and it's about addressing the whole talent pipeline piece and so if you had to boil that down into just and again i'm gonna go to the show notes and like watch this
2: yeah (laughs) if you're listening right now
1: because it's a really amazing talk but in one or two sentences like why does that really fire you up
2: So I think so often the metaphor of a pipeline is used as an excuse. Um, It's used for folks who are farther downstream for companies to say, it's not our problem, it's a pipeline problem. And the data really disputes that, actually, that 18% to 5% stat that we talked about. Um, But it's also damaging when you start to kind of dig into that metaphor and think about, well, it implies that there's kind of one linear path. It implies that the people flowing through the pipes are commodities. They're interchangeable. It implies that they don't have agency. So there's a whole host of problems with... That metaphor and that using that as the dominant metaphor, I think, constricts our language and understanding about how to actually solve the problem.
1: Because so much of what you do, it's, I mean, you, if story on story of of mentorships and yeah. and the people who it removes that stigma of it being seen as a commodity. It's yeah. actually it's a person helping another person, yep. coaching them, giving them support. And the, I know the response you've received back at home for you has been unbelievable. Yeah. For I mean, there's. I mean, you were saying earlier. Really, I think it was a. I mean, someone is a chief product officer. At, yeah. At um the f- at Twitter at the Twitter. first summer. Yeah. The first summer. Yeah. That was like mm-hmm. that was when you just had maybe f- five,
2: five, six. five yeah. fellows, and he's like, you
1: know what? All right. <laughs> yeah. I'll help out. So there's I know there's a lot more stories about that, but something else. You have a quote that you talk about of how you. Balance being uncomfortable and how a little bit of discomfort is good. Yeah, is there a difference with di- maybe I'm just making up a phrase here, but <laughs> diversity discomfort is that a different kind of discomfort than people that people feel compared to just being uncomfortable? Like yeah, I don't.
2: Yeah, I, no, that that's a really interesting question. Kind of are there is there good discomfort and bad discomfort or maybe you I know, don't know I think. um I believe that kind of learning change and growth comes from those moments of discomfort. And I think that if you're able to kind of flip your mental script around what it means to be uncomfortable and to see that as an opportunity as opposed to a threat, then you can achieve a lot. And I think that's very true in the diversity and inclusion conversation as well. Race, ethnicity, gender—these are really uncomfortable topics for a lot of us, and um, I think we just have to sit with that. And the goal is not to make it comfortable; the goal is to make it better.
1: Right. So that brings me to a question of: What can organizations? I mean, we're sitting here right now; we're in Nashville at the National Entrepreneur Center. How can organizations like the EC, other? Entrepreneur centers, incubators, accelerators, how can they have those honest dialogues and be more supportive of inclusion?
2: I think a really helpful way to think about it is how can the incumbents, kind of people in positions of power and influence, set the stage and set an example? Um, I think where it starts to become problematic is when it's the underrepresented group's job to solve the underrepresentation. And when you can create an environment where someone at the top is saying, I don't know how to do this, but I know it's important, and I'm going to open up dialogue, that can change the entire conversation and the entire set of feelings, emotions, fears about that We talk a lot at Code2040 about times when we feel uncomfortable or times when we feel scared or fearful. Um, And a lot of work on this will involve fear. And whether that's fear of putting yourself out there, fear of saying the wrong thing, fear of making the wrong choice, it's inherent in the work. Um, So somebody at the top has to set an example that that's okay. It's not easy, but it's okay.
1: Like that fear can be paralyzing. It can be disabling and paralyzing if you try to overthink it. Because what you're saying yeah. is, if you just have a conversation, and if you just, oh, op- if you, it's really simple. It's a, it, well, it's not simple. But the first step to trying to make a positive and meaningful change is actually easier than it might seem on the surface.
2: Yeah. Well, I think simple is a good word, actually, because simple and easy are different. I think it's not easier than we think, but it is simpler than we think in a lot of ways.
1: Thank you. That's, I like that. Yeah. And it's encouraging. It's optimistic. <laughs> yes. So one of the final questions I want to ask you is, what is looking next right now for Code 2040?
2: Oh, man. it's um, There's a lot coming down the pike. Uh, we are in the process of going through a big strategic plan. Um, which will help us focus and grow simultaneously because I think they aren't actually mutually exclusive. Um, we've been really fortunate to have a lot of great supporters and partnerships over the last few years. And um, more than anything, I think we've learned just a tremendous amount about what is needed and how we can best deploy our resources and expertise. Um, So, I mean, my real answer is stay tuned because (laughs) there's a lot coming down the pike. But I think the the entrepreneurship work is a big and exciting piece of that. The fellows coming through our program, as we heard, they're really interested in entrepreneurship. We're working with entrepreneurs and tech hubs like the EC over the course of this year and beyond. And I think we feel really strongly that working with existing companies is important, working with students is important, um, and that because change often comes from the top, making sure we're empowering and supporting entrepreneurs who are building the companies of the future is going to be integral to solving this.
1: That's wonderful. So final question for you. This is about the EIRs, the Entrepreneur in Residence positions that are at the different Google for Entrepreneurs tech hubs throughout North America. What is this position, like what does the partnership look like? And and how is that supporting these tech entrepreneurs with their ideas, and 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 also how they promote diversity?
2: Yeah, so it's a really fun partnership because there's a lot of different uh, there are a lot of different players in the partnership who are all able to create impacts in different ways. So Google for Entrepreneurs, uh, enabling all of it, kind of with the convening of the hubs. Um, and the funding of the initiative. Uh, The way it works is we have an entrepreneur in residence who is a black or Latino entrepreneur starting a tech or tech-enabled company in each of the seven cities in which we're working. Um, And they get uh, equity-free seed funding um, and mentorship and support from Google and Code2040. Um, And they get workspace and mentorship and support from the local tech hub so EC um, being an excellent example oh, of course that. Right. <laughs> well,
1: that's that's like the perfect combo of all those people I mean I know it include and we'll have a link to what all that does include yeah. and it's I'm really excited to to meet the other EIRs and I can't wait to see what the impact looks like and I hope this continues to be something that plays out in the future.
2: Yeah, we're, we're super excited to both see what the EIRs do and to support the tech hubs and all of their work around inclusion as well.
1: Thanks for listening. Techpreneurs is a production of Relationary Marketing. This episode was produced by Chuck Bryant and myself, Clark Buckner with editing support from John March and music by Andrew Malone. This season of Techpreneurs is powered by the Nashville Entrepreneur Center in support of the Google for Entrepreneurs Tech Hub Network. Find out more about the EC and how to become a member at ec.co. To learn more about Code 2040 and how to apply to become an entrepreneur in residence, go to code2040.org entrepreneurs. We hope you join us on the next episode, episode number two, featuring LaShawn Greenhill of Sageants and the EIR and the Code 2040 Entrepreneur Residence at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center.
0: The next gold rush is in the inner city because that's where there are a ton of ideas that have not been tapped. But the only way to tap those ideas is to deliver resources and create excitement and engagement so that those ideas can come to the table.
1: Thanks again, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Techpreneurs.